0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for being with us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up this week. And, of course, this is a day that we remember what happened 19 years ago here in our country, a day where we remember where we were that day when we heard the news. We remember those we lost, and we remember those who performed so courageously, Courageously. And, of course, we remember those whose lives were changed forever. And our hope is in these days where our country is so divided in so many ways that our memories will help bring us back together. Well, coming up on our program today, we are going to get an update on African swine fever, reports of it spreading now to Germany. We'll get the latest on that from the National Pork Producers Council. Also coming up today, we'll talk about the GAP year waiver issue with brian jennings ceo of the american coalition for ethanol and we're going to talk with matt youngman with farm progress we're going to take a look preview next week's virtual farm progress show coming up next tuesday wednesday and thursday but we're going to start things off with mike steenhook who is executive director of the soy transportation coalition because uh this week there was a ceremony kicking off the construction of barge loading and unloading terminal along the Missouri River. That's right the Missouri River. Mike, thanks for joining us. We talk a lot about the um, Mississippi River and the Illinois River. We don't talk a lot about barge traffic on the Missouri River. So tell us about the significance of this new terminal that will be built
2: Well it, it's I think it's, it's quite exciting uh, So this past Wednesday there was a groundbreaking in uh, the small town of Blencoe, Iowa. And that's pretty much midway between Omaha Council Bluffs and Sioux City, Iowa. So it's on the Iowa side. And uh, a company, a farmer-owned and farmer-led cooperative based out of Fort Dodge, Iowa, uh, with most of its facilities kind of in the western, northwestern part of the state, they they had a groundbreaking for a new barge loading and unloading facility uh, along the Missouri River uh, in that town of Blenco. And I, you know, have, I've had the opportunity to provide assistance to, uh, new cooperative, uh, kind of in their strategy and, you know, funding, uh, grant funding, uh, process and interface with government. And so it was really just, um, it was great to see, um, that event. Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa, uh, was the featured speaker. And so it was really encouraging to see this, project come to fruition and they have an intention of of loading some degree of soybeans uh, for the export market from that facility yet this November December you know clearly the construction progress will take a while so it'll things will occur in waves and in increments but you know the, the plan is to is to be engaged in international marketing for this farmer-owned cooperative by shipping on the, the Missouri River so yeah, very exciting, I and mean, it's great to see that you know, here is a a maritime asset, a maritime highway, the Missouri River that I believe is underutilized, and it should be, it could be an option, it should be an option for farmers in western Iowa, eastern Nebraska, eastern Kansas, parts of Missouri, you know, even extending into South Dakota. Uh, the Missouri River will never rival the Mississippi, the Ohio, the Illinois rivers in terms of volumes of freight moves. but again. I think it should be an option for farmers and others in that region for their supply chain.
0: Well, the more traffic you put on the water, you take that much traffic off the roads.
2: Yeah, and you know, for example, with this company, so they're located in the western part of Iowa. For their inbound fertilizer needs, what they often have to rely on is barge shipments up the Mississippi River, it gets offloaded in eastern Iowa, and then it's a, you know, a long truck journey uh, to their facilities in the western part of the state, or they have to bring it in via rail, which is always mm-hmm. more costly. So they, they not only have an aspiration for exporting soybeans and maybe in the future DDGs, corn, and other agricultural products, the first one will be soybeans, um, they also have this aspiration of bringing in fertilizer on the inbound so all of a sudden it's more of a local movement so you're you're shifting more of that of that freight from the road onto water which is a much more efficient way of moving large bulk products and commodities
0: so you're bringing it with this facility they're bringing greater economic value then uh, for farmers uh, in the region you described and it's uh, probably a bigger region than many people would think
2: yeah, you know, you know, you know, when you look at when you look at a map and you see the Missouri River, you recognize there are a lot of farmers that have in again in western Iowa, eastern Nebraska, eastern Kansas, Missouri, South Dakota, that have proximity to the inland waterway system, but they have very little access to the inland waterway system. You know, when you're when you have proximity to something, you're just close to it. When you have Access that means you can derive utility and benefit from it, and so when all of a sudden you've got these investments in a facility that'll that will allow soybeans to be loaded onto a barge or fertilizer to be unloaded, all of a sudden you're providing access points, and you know for farmers and agriculture in this region where the overwhelming method of moving commodities is rail, um, isn't it better when you have? different options and you never want to put in supply chain you never want to put all your eggs in one basket it's great when you have options the opportunity to ship by barge and rail and truck when you have that kind of modal competition you know freight rates tend to be lower you've got better service and the shippers including farmers are the ones who are the ultimate beneficiaries of that
0: Yeah. so good news here can you give us an update on any other uh, river projects uh, to watch this fall
2: well, we're 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 pleased that the Illinois River um, locks and dams, the rehabilitation work, you know, they just released an update on their progress, and and they're still making you know good progress with still anticipating being fully completed by the end of October. So that'll be that'll be you know certainly beneficial to have a much more reliable system. Um, I received notification uh, earlier this week that the actual deepening work on the lower Mississippi River, we've talked about this project earlier, but the actual starting to scoop up dirt, that has started to occur this week. So having some real good momentum on some of these projects, clearly there's a big need to make adequate investments in our inland waterway system. It's been a long aspiration for agriculture and other industries, but we do need to acknowledge there are some good things that are happening and agriculture and farmers have been a very meaningful component of making of of elevating the importance of these projects and actually getting the work done so farmers need to be commended for this
0: yep some good news as harvest uh, 2020 is getting underway all right Mike thanks for the update thank you Mike good to be with you all right Mike Steenhook executive director of the soy transportation coalition Well, a case of African swine fever has been found in Germany. We're going to get an update on African swine fever, how far has it spread, what's the situation in China, and a report, an update on the efforts to keep it out of the United States. That's up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. More and more landowners and
1: their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's continue looking at the storm damage. We're joined now by Megan Anderson, Iowa State Extension field agronomist. Megan, thank you for joining us. You had a couple weeks now. I know you've been out uh, looking at fields, assessing the damage. What what can you tell us? What's the overview that you've seen?
2: It's really remarkable how widespread spread the damages i mean i know we keep saying that but it's just it's completely unbelievable how uh, to me how uh, people all the way out in west central iowa are affected and have flat fields and, and people all the way over pretty close to the illinois border have been affected so the the size and scale of it is amazing and then i would say the the really disappointing thing to see has been how quickly the corn crop has gone downhill here since the time of that storm and we were already struggling a little bit with some dryness in some areas and that has faced
0: just spread. And that, combined
2: with the heat that we had last week, has really sent the corn crop downhill.
0: For the information important to Rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: Do you know how to keep food safe at home?
4: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
3: The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe.
4: Clean, separate, cook, and chill.
3: For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-Hotline.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, there's been a report of African swine fever found in Germany. Here to bring us up to date is Andrew Bailey, science and technology legal counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Andrew, thanks for joining us. What can you tell us about this case in Germany?
2: Uh, well, you know, uh, if it, it confirmed, you know, this is uh, part of a, a broader pattern, we've seen a lot of um, ASF slowly creeping its way across Eastern Europe um, from Poland, closer to the German border. Um, it's you know not something that's totally unexpected. It's something we've been monitoring for quite a long time, um, and it's important to note that uh, it's suspected to be in a wild boar, uh, not in their commercial um, in their commercial hogs over there. So it's a it's a little different from the outbreaks as we've seen you know further out in uh, in East Asia and, and Central Asia.
0: What efforts have we seen in Europe to contain the disease? Um, Well,
2: in Europe, they've they've been very active in a lot of ways. Um, Germany will, uh, or the EU will now establish zones in accordance with the regulations. Uh, We've accepted to accept those zones. Different countries have taken different, um, you know, different proactive measures, everything from, I think the Danes built a a fence along their border with Germany uh, last year or the year before, Um, to you know just strong biosecurity like we practice here uh, to make sure that uh, farms and animals are are protected as as well as
5: possible
0: all right let's go to china Um, what do we know about where they are in their fight uh, against uh, african swine fever do they have it contained
2: Um, as far as we know it's still an issue they are dealing with um, on a large scale Um, i don't know how well contained it is, it, it appears at least last uh, I was able to hear that it's still endemic in certain areas. Um, and uh, it, it really just emphasizes the need for us in the U.S. to be proactive in terms of keeping it out. Um, and that's what NPPC has been extremely active on uh, over the last year or so, uh, Right, I guess two years now at this point.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a moment. We're talking with Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council, Science and Technology Legal Council. Andrew, do we have, we, we've heard estimates, do we have any solid numbers on, on uh, the impact in China as far as number of animals lost and, and the steps that they have taken to, uh, to slow the spread of the disease? Um, there's a lot of estimates depending
2: on uh, where you look. Uh, I know at one point they were saying almost half of half of the pigs in China uh, may have been lost to it. A quarter of all the pigs in the world so far. Um, so obviously that's a a huge issue, um, especially for a major exporter like us um, here, here in the U.S. I know that they've taken a a number of different measures to try and control it, but you just have such a diversity of production systems, and you know wild versus. Um, commercial there and it's just a very different industry than we have here Um, so there's there's not as
0: many uh direct correlations do we have any more uh information on how it starts and how it spreads uh well as we've seen
2: in you know china some and and across eastern europe it it mostly seems to be carried in the the wild hog populations, the boar populations, um and you can over the last several years, you see it sort of migrating with those herds in certain areas, um, although there's you know, reports that it's been transmitted in food waste in some instances or, or suspected to be trans- transmitted in food waste in some instances um, that was, uh, that was you know, discovered by the wild boars. Uh, but Maybe they weren't the original uh, source of it. Um, it seems to be very contagious overall, um, and, and there's a bunch of different avenues as far as I understand
0: Other than China and Europe, has it been reported anywhere else? Um, There are a number of countries uh,
2: across uh, Asia uh, where it's been discovered, um, particularly in Southeast Asia, um, Eastern Europe and Central Europe as well. It's been found, um, you know, pretty much every country from China across to to Poland, um, especially on the northern part of the continent. uh, They've had findings of it, um, and it's crept its way. Uh, further south and east from China
0: as well. Which reminds us that the threat and the risk is still present, and we have to keep up the efforts to keep it out of the U.S. Can you bring us up to date on those efforts?
2: Uh, certainly. Uh, you know, obviously, we can have all the, the plans to respond and contain it uh, as, as are needed when we, when it gets here, and we have a great number of people in industry and states and federal uh, levels of government that are working on that, but obviously the number one priority is keeping it entirely out of the U.S., keeping it out of North America. Um, and for that, um, our first line of defense is the Customs and Border Protection uh, ag inspectors. They're at every port of entry, looking at you know international passengers and cruise ships and uh, containers. Um, and, and our number one priority is keeping those those inspectors on the job. There's actually a major concern right now because the USDA collects user fees from international travelers and trade that fund those, uh, those inspectors. And due to COVID-19, you know, international travel has plummeted precipitously. Trade has has dropped significantly. Um, And there's very serious concerns about the um, lack of funding for those inspectors. Uh, USDA's user fee reserve is actually expected to be completely run out, um, maybe even by the end of this month. And they're looking at a $630 million budget hole for next year just to keep the inspectors they have employed. So our number one priority right now is, is finding a way to keep those, those inspectors on the job. You know, it's not just a pork issue. It's an all agriculture issue to keep uh, animal and plant diseases and pests out of this country. Um, and and uh, it's incredibly important. Um, and that's just the inspectors we have now. We've also been working to try and get Congress over the last, year to fund the hiring of 720 new ag inspectors because according to customs and border protection they're actually understaffed at their current level um short almost a quarter of what they think would be full staffing so um, went from a bad to a worse situation potentially but we're working to get that addressed um and that's actually what we'll have out uh, we're having a virtual fly-in with our legislative action committee next week um, and that's one of our top asks um, of legislators
0: still no vaccine for african swine fever
2: uh, no, there's a lot of interest in a lot of places uh, for that. Um, and, uh, you know, China in particular, I think, is working hard at it as well as um, several uh, several companies are, are working on it. But as far as I know, uh, there's not a vaccine just yet. Um, I think people have been working on it in some form or another for several decades at this point, um, and, and it may be quite a ways off.
0: And I'm afraid a lot of people uh, just don't realize how devastating this would be if it ever got into and spread in the united states
2: oh it it would actually be just devastating even if you know best case scenario it was found in a single herd and we were able to shut it down very quickly um you know that's an an absolute best case scenario but uh nearly a quarter of our production is for exports and as soon as it was detected most of those exports would instantly shut off uh, which would have a you know tremendous impact on hog farmers in the rural communities that, you know, rely on them producing and and selling their animals. Um, And that's, you know, best case scenario and worst case is that it could spread um, across farms, across states. Um, And it would just be, it could be absolutely devastating. Um, You know, the upside, if there is one at all, is that it is a swine only disease. There's not a human health component to it. um, But for hog farmers and uh, consumers even of of pork, the availability could become uh, pretty tight.
0: Yeah, it would be the availability issue the consumers would be looking at, uh, again, not a health risk to humans, but still would be a, a devastating blow to uh, major protein supply in this country.
2: Indeed. And, and, you know, you're already seeing some of that across the world with as many hogs that have been uh, killed by it. Uh, you've already seen some places, uh, you know, there's even especially speculation in China that, that pork has become harder to get and thus pricier. And, you know, obviously that that drags on consumer spending uh it in many ways um and in particular in the u.s a lot of our exports are cuts um pig cuts that aren't necessarily eaten a lot here uh and we we rely on those export markets to uh to to take those cuts um and add some value to to the pigs so that's um it's a major concern
0: well, certainly uh, it's been a year of great challenges in many, on many fronts, and uh, so far we've been able to keep this out, and hopefully th- those efforts will be uh, uh, effective moving forward. But as you said, we've got to reinforce those efforts and can't let up. Andrew, thank you so very much for the update. Thanks for having me. All right. Andrew Bailey, National Pork Producers Council, Science and Technology Legal Council, with an update on African swine fever that continues to... Uh, spread in other countries but thankfully uh, has not come to the united states yet a lot of efforts underway to keep it out and uh, we need even more of those those efforts strengthened to uh, do all we can to keep that uh, devastating disease out of this country all right so a big story this week has been that there are reports that the administration is going to Reject those gap year small refinery exemptions to the RFS. Do we have confirmation of that? We'll talk about that next with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
6: Hey, Dad.
4: A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
7: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Soybean futures and corn futures trending higher ahead of Friday's WASD report from USDA. Weed futures have been trending. In a mix. Soybean export sales, according to USDA, for 2020-21, totaling over 3.16 million metric tons. China, responsible for 1.59 million tons of that buying. Private exporters, reporting to USDA, sales of 262,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China on the Daily Wire. Also, 222,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations. Traders widely expect the soybean and corn yield and production numbers in Friday's WASD report to be lowered compared to the August numbers. In soybeans, an hour into the day. New crop November up eight and a quarter at nine eighty-five and three quarters. January up seven and a half at nine eighty-nine. December corn up three and a half at three sixty-eight and a half. Chicago wheat, December, steady at five forty-eight and a quarter. Kansas City wheat, December, up two and three quarters at 476 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat, December, down a quarter of a cent at 535 and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck, after those limit advances on Thursday, lean hog futures trending higher once again with expanded limits in play. October was well up over $3 in early activity, since backing off an hour into the day. October now up $2.47. 66.82. Sixty-six, eighty-two. Live cattle October up forty-two at one hundred five, fifty-two. Feeder cattle October up thirty-seven now at one hundred thirty-nine, ninety-seven. Wall Street: the Dow up one hundred seventy-five, S and P up sixteen. Crude oil down twelve cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
0: Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we've had the reports that the administration is going to reject those gap year waivers to these renewable fuel standard, but do we have confirmation? Let's talk about it with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us. What do we know at this point?
6: Mike, it's always a pleasure to join you. I hope you and your listeners are well, and we do not have confirmation yet. Uh, It's maybe early still on Friday morning for those in Washington, but um, we don't have confirmation yet that EPA will reject these. So, It's great that the president has apparently directed the agency to to reject those waivers. It puts a bit of a spring in our step, I suppose. But we've been down the road before where promises were made and then somehow uh, they weren't fulfilled or they fell through the cracks. And so um, we've got to put pressure. Groups like mine really have to put pressure on the administration between now and the election because I think that's when we have some leverage to get some positive action
0: on this yeah as you mentioned the history of this the track record on this shows you can't let up and you can't take for granted it's going to happen you have to push till it's a, a done deal
6: yeah I mean I'm thinking about frankly Mike a year ago tomorrow the president hosted a pretty big meeting in the Oval Office with um, several of our key Republican senator champions, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture was part of this. The EPA administrator was part of this, and they brokered, you know, this deal that 15 billion gallons in the RFS is going to mean 15 billion gallons. We were going to get a rule from EPA to improve that sort of warning label um, that you see on the pumps for E15, and EPA was going to streamline barriers to to other high blends. Um, There were a series of promises that came out of that meeting one year ago tomorrow. And frankly, most of those promises have not been kept. And so we have to be vigilant, um, you know, and and as I said, I think we have in whatever the 50, 60 days between now and the election, it's probably our our, um, greatest uh, leverage opportunity to try and get some action on these items.
0: So basically, this would follow, they would be doing what the Tenth Circuit Court told them they should do. Um, And while it would seemingly indicate this is how they would handle these waivers moving forward, I guess there's really no guarantee of that either. I mean, even if you get these gap year waivers rejected, is there any guarantee that they won't continue to grant them moving forward, though?
6: Not not until or unless EPA does finally um, set in motion the the direction that that Tenth Circuit court that you referred to um, sort of delivered to them back in January. And for your listeners, uh, a reminder, the Tenth Circuit decision that Mike and I are referring to is when ACE and other groups challenged three of these exemptions from the past, these waivers to the RFS. Um, As unlawful, the Tenth Circuit Court in Denver agreed with us and, in fact, said EPA cannot grant a waiver to a small refinery from blending ethanol or biodiesel under the RFS um, unless that refinery was continuously getting those waivers dating as far back as 2014-2015. And so, That should dramatically reduce the number of these waivers going forward, but only if, Mike, to your question, EPA finally sort of um, codifies, if you will, this Tenth Circuit decision. And so far, we've seen EPA sort of drag its feet on that. And so that's another lingering issue relating to these small refinery
0: exemptions. I read... uh... A quote by someone in the oil industry, an executive in the oil industry, basically saying, paraphrasing here, that uh, uh, the ethanol industry has usually gets whatever it wants. has been given all kinds of breaks and things. Uh, and I, I thought as I read that, I thought, you know, and this is this is through Republican and Democratic administrations. So I'm not picking one or the other. I'm saying through both. I I don't think we've ever really seen. A full endorsement and a full out support for the biofuels industry that really the renewable fuel standard called for. It seems like it's been a battle every step of the way just to get uh, the powers that be to uh, live up to and to fully enforce the law that's on the books. You hit
6: it on the head, and I just have to grin at you know some of the statements that come from our, our friends on the refining side of the equation. Um, all we've asked for, to your point, Mike, all the renewable fuel sector has asked for is for EPA, whether under a Democratic administration or a Republican administration, that EPA follow the law of the land when it comes to the RFS, and to your point... It was 2014 when, under President Obama, um, EPA sort of drove the RFS in the ditch because that's when they proposed to waive part of the volume obligations under the RFS due to the so-called blend wall, and that forced our group and others to sue EPA under the Obama administration saying that the law does does not allow them to waive the volumes due to sort of this make-believe blend wall. We won that court case in 2017. The EPA was instructed to um, restore 500 million gallons to the RFS, to the blending volumes, and that still hasn't been done. But to your point, that's when things sort of came off the rails in 2014. And not since that time, Under Republican and Democratic administrations, have we seen EPA follow the letter and spirit of the law with the RFS? And that's all we're asking for.
0: It has been frustrating for sure. We're talking with uh, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Uh, the other big issue with right now is the tariff situation with Brazil. It looks like we're going to get uh, at least a, a short reprieve on this, uh, but we still don't have a, a permanent solution to it, do we?
6: We don't have a permanent solution. It does appear as if um, President Bolsonaro in Brazil is going to announce a, a multi-day, maybe a 90-day extension of the current tariff tariff rate quota, which allows almost 200 million gallons of U.S. ethanol to be shipped to Brazil duty-free, and anything above that volume gets slapped to 20% tariff. So if they kick the can down the road, I think that's good because it gives some breathing room to the United States and Brazil to negotiate. The, the problem I see with it is, the way we've been tracking exports to Brazil, I think the U.S. is right up against that quota already. So I think we've shipped nearly 200 million gallons to Brazil already this year and so anything in excess of that is probably going to get slapped with a tariff, but we've got to address this. Um, The quickest way to sort of deal with our supply-demand imbalance today is to find some of these export opportunities, but boy they're difficult to find um, given the issues we still have with China, given the issues with with Brazil.
0: Brian, before we let you go, I want to mention and let people know about your annual meeting because, like many groups, you're going to be holding a virtual meeting next week. Tell us about it. Yeah,
6: so next week, Wednesday, the 16th of September, will be the annual ACE conference. And it will be virtual, unfortunately, and hopefully it'll be just so, sort of this year only, and we'll be back to normal next year. But we're doing it in conjunction with the fuel ethanol workshop. So there will be a ton of ethanol content for people if they're interested in that. And I would encourage them to go to our website if they want to learn how to register, which is um, ethanol.org.
0: And you have, you'll have updates on all these issues we've been talking about, but also updates on some of the things that are going out, out in the countryside. There are some positives. There are some developments in, in getting higher blends out there and getting the infrastructure out there. Some, there is some progress going on. Maybe not as much as we would like or as fast as we would like, but there are, there are some positive developments.
6: No doubt about it. We're going to have retailers who have added E15 and E85 talk about the positive experience they've had selling those fuels. We're going to talk about ways plants can reduce their carbon intensity and make money selling into these low-carbon markets. So there there are positive things to talk about, and we promise to focus on those as well next
0: week. All right, we encourage people to uh, get online and uh, take part in your your virtual meeting next week. As always, Brian, we appreciate your time. Thanks for your thoughts and perspective on these uh, very important issues. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. All right, take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, as we continue to wait for confirmation of the reports that – EPA will be rejecting those gap year waiver requests to the renewable fuel standard. Well, we mentioned with Brian that like many other groups and events, uh, their annual meeting next week will be a virtual one. So will this year's Farm Progress Show uh it's going to be coming up their virtual farm progress show is coming up next week next Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday's when it will go live for you to be able to log on and view uh, all the information that they have and they've worked hard to put this together and then of course it'll be available to you after that at any time you can uh, you'll be able to access it. We're going to tell you more about what's going to be available and how you can access that information as Matt Youngman, National Events Director for Farm Progress will join us next for an update. And a preview of next week's virtual farm progress show. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, $1,000. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around $1 a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no obligation quote from a trusted HSE service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. <sighs>
8: Can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally
4: come on site. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to
1: have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge to say the least, but there
7: are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit fssystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next.
5: Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. Wrong.
1: Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
0: recently on Atoms on Agriculture, Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, let's start with China. Your thoughts on the, their purchases and where we're at as far as sales to them when it comes to soybeans.
5: Well, we've been very uh, pleased to see that the pace picking up for sales. Obviously, we are, uh, we're at the, almost a record level. We'll see when we get the numbers this week in terms of new crop sales uh, as we start the new marketing year. So, uh, you know, we've been thinking for a while that there was uh, going to be a real good effort from the Chinese in terms of implementing the phase one agreement. And I think we're seeing that happen. You know, we had to get through the time period when Brazil is the normal kind of southern hemisphere exporter and their main window. Uh, That window has, uh, the the shipments are certainly winding down. We're all hearing talk about the prices in Brazil going up and we're seeing them now turn to the United States. So they've got a nice purchase book on from, from the U.S., as do other
0: countries. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
7: Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the
0: vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe. Save lives. We're just now a few days away from this year's virtual Farm Progress show, and here with a preview is Matt Youngman, National Events Director for Farm Progress. Matt, thanks a lot. I know a lot of people have been working hard to put all this together and have it ready to go next Tuesday.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a whole different set of people. Um, you know, we don't get to work with our, our parking folks and our traffic control and EMS. A lot of the folks we typically work with, but it's a, it's a whole new group. But uh, still trying to put together... The, the best information possible and, and connect these exhibitors with the farmers that want to want to work with them.
0: So you had an event a few days ago on September 1st where uh, a lot of this came together, a lot of the f- recording and video done out in the fields, and you, you have to edit that, put that together, work with your, your exhibitors and, and get their messages put together. So it's a lot to, to bring together behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, it is, and and you know that 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 bit of time that we spent in Boone was was really valuable. You know, of the of the hundred field demonstration videos that I've I've sorted through here and that we're getting gathered and organized, we picked up about 60 of them there while we were in Boone for those couple of days, and had the opportunity to see folks like you and and uh, uh, some of the exhibitors come together. You know, by the time we got 30 or so media in there and 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 30 exhibiting companies. With field demo equipment and a few others, and ourselves, it was it was a nice little bit of a family reunion. It felt a little bit like the Farm Progress Show, but not really. I mean, you can you can probably you can probably attest to that. But some of the some of the players were there, but we were sure short a lot of farmers.
0: It was good to be there and see some people, but it also made you miss uh, the the real Farm Progress experience. So what you're trying to do, though, is is capture as much of that experience as you can and make it available. Uh, uh, on the virtual show and the I, I've tried to point out there are some things that are actually going to be better about this because people can uh, probably see more than maybe they would have had they been there in person and they can do it at their, on their own schedule really.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, the event rolls out Tuesday morning. Uh, it, the, the event matches up to the dates that Husker Harvest Days would have been the 15th, 16th, and 17th. So next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And, um, you know, we work hard at the live events to make every day exactly the same, so you don't miss something by being there Thursday instead of Tuesday or, or vice versa. Now we have three full days of content, and each day is unique. So over the course of the three days next week, we're going to be rolling out content every minute of the day during eight to five, and the, you know the exhibit field doesn't close at five o'clock at night. The exhibitor side of this stays open, and any of the content, you know, whether it's the editorial content about livestock or grain bin safety or you know weather monitoring or mental health any of that any you know, content piece all those things are there once they go live so for example the John Deere X9 combine is going to roll out in the 915 field demo show and once that goes live at 915 it's there for the remainder of the show uh, and and folks can can take it in and and even after the show you know when when folks take in that field demo show at 915 they are going to you know, watch a 75-minute show that's got all the combines uh, and, and several other things in it. But then after the show, we're going to break it out so you can watch each of the individual three-minute clips of, of the machines. And right now what I'm working on is categorizing all that stuff so that somebody can just go to the website and click on the Cornhead category and watch all seven three-minute clips all, all in a row so you can, you can watch all the big players there uh, on those videos, and and as you saw, especially the Cornhead guys, they had a heck of a challenge with all that down corn. So it'll be it'll be pretty good. I think it's pretty good content uh, for the farmers to take in.
0: So each day next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, each of those three days, there'll be new content posted each day. Then,
2: yep, every day. And and if you go, you, know, you can go, you can get there easy by going to FarmProgressShow.com or HuskerHarvestDays.com. There's no charge to register, but once you get registered then you can get in and take a look at the agenda. And, you know, it's a a jam-packed three days with new stuff all the time. There isn't anything repeated anywhere in those three days. It's all new all the time. Uh, For the demos, most of the the corn and soybean folks are going to like the Tuesday and Wednesday demos. The Thursday demos are all about livestock. So it's all about hay tools and cattle handling demos and and all those things we captured when we are in Grand Island. So it's a, it's a really great cross-section of, of the two merged events.
0: You know, thousands of people come to the Farm Progress Show each year, but there are many others that probably would like to, but it's either too far for them or they're busy on on their own farms with their harvesting or whatever it may be going on. So this will should open up uh, the Farm Progress Show to, to people that would not normally have been able to get there.
2: Yeah, and you know, we're working on a big project to, to make this go live in Portuguese so that, so that it, it goes live in Brazil as well. Uh, and, and I think it, it's a whole new side of the show where the show has never been a reference document in the past. It's never been something that you could go back to and use it for a sales tool or a, a buying tool in the winter. But now it is because it, it's something that folks can use all the way through the year.
0: Hopefully we'll be back in person to the show next year in Decatur, Illinois. But could there be some things from this year that will carry over even uh, when we're back to "quote unquote" normal?
2: Well, yeah. And and I actually was just I actually this morning I proofed the kind of the post show survey. We always like to do a survey and ask folks what 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 they what the, what we could do better. And one of those questions that I added is, what components of this would you like to see bolted into the live events in the future. So I, I really think, you know, there's there's probably not a going back from this. We're probably never going to go 100% back from this. I think there's going to be components of this that folks are going to find a lot of value in, and uh, you'll see some of these pieces that are valuable to folks in, incorporated into the into live events in the future, which, you know, I don't need one more thing to do, but but if it's what the growers are needing, then that's what we're going to figure out how to
0: deliver so go to Farm Progress, what's the website, farm progress.
2: Farm progress, farm progress show.com or show.com are the easiest way to get there.
0: All right, we encourage people to do so and enjoy the virtual Farm Progress show next week. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Mike. All right, Matt Youngman with Farm Progress looking ahead to next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the virtual Farm Progress show. Have a great and safe weekend, everyone. Join us Monday here on AOA.